She was very bubbly. And so I opened the door and it was just like, hi, you know, like big eyes and like real loud. <laughs> I'm Emily. And I'm like, and I was like wondering, like, I mean, I had no idea what, what she was there for. And then I was like, she started like talking. And I was like, I think like she's here for nothing. Like, I think she's just like actually here to say hello. And then she was like, she like, I remember her like looking like, <laughs> like doing like the look over my shoulder like what's in there you know what I mean like what do you and then she's like so can I come in I'm like uh yeah I, I guess <laughs> and yeah then she stayed for like a while like I was putting stuff away and like just get my dorm room set and then and then I wasn't <laughs> because we talked for about 30 minutes with Michael Mogart and Emily Mogart for the second installment with um, with Life with the Mogarts. And last episode, we left off at talking a little bit about legacy. And I wanted to take this opportunity to kind of find out from you guys how you were brought up. So the first question will go to Mo. And I kind of wanted, wanted to find out what was the legacy um, that was passed down uh to you by your dad or your mom? Um, my dad, the legacy he would have left me was, um, like, personality-wise or character-wise, it'd be integrity, um, hardworking, not complaining, very, uh, a little bit old school, but not in, like, a bad way, or not in, like, a a lame way, you know, uh, not where like he's stuck in his ways or something like that, but just like kind of that old school, like hard work, integrity. And then my mom, <clears throat> um, also a very, very diligent worker. Um, I think they had a really high standard. They set a high standard. They weren't afraid to ask a lot. Um, and I think that communicates that they, believe in they believed in me they they believed in me to rise to the occasion and I think they it wasn't an atmosphere where they asked a lot of me like told me what I needed to be or told me what I needed to do but the way they treated me and my successes suggested that there was always more to be accomplished I just remember, like, literally one time. <laughs> I remember one time <laughs> where I came home with a report card of straight A's, and my mom looked at it and goes, hmm. And that was it, and just put it down. And <laughs> Like, did not comment, did oh. not say it. I think I was, like, 17. Oh, wow. And I got, I got pissed about it. And I was like, now wait a second. I know that I always bring home this report card. <laughs> you know, this is the eighth straight semester, or whatever it was, that I do this, but... You know, like give like give me something. So then, how did you react to that? Yeah, I got like mad, and I was like, "This is like, this isn't like this may be normal, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't warrant a response." So when did that switch for you? 
I think I was always aware of it. Um, it's just in that moment. And then she quickly was like, felt bad about it. <laughs> she's like, yeah, you're right. You know, it wasn't like a, a thing where she's like, there was, like, it wasn't a point of contention. It was like a quick, like, oh, sorry. And you're right. And you know, you're a great student and we appreciate that about you and, and all the rest. It wasn't anything, they didn't do anything wrong. Um, but I do think growing up in that type of environment, then I was void of encouragement. And, and so then that would be my weakness as a parent. Like I didn't get a lot of words of affirmation because that was their style. And um, it did. It, it caused me to, to work hard and to strive and to be the best that I could be. But I also am not super free with <laughs> the words of affirmation and encouragement these days. Because <laughs> I'm always on to the next thing. I'm always on how to, how to climb the next mountain. Mm-hmm. And um, that wasn't just my parents, but that was also just in my sports environment growing up too, it was like, as soon as you won, the coach was like, on to the next game. That means nothing. It's over. You know, and it was just always focusing on the next one. You know, you're only as good as your last, your last at bat. You're only as good as your last win sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and, and you're slightly different in the way that your parents were void of encouragement. Mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about this in the car. Mm-hmm. And you said that it was mostly because they didn't want me to focus too much on what you could do with your mind as well. So mm-hmm. could you tell us a little bit about how <coughs> you were brought up? Mm-hmm. Um, my parents really strayed away from achievement being the goal or like, um, I guess just like level of performance. And so my sisters and I were all, you know, quite capable, did well and stuff, but it was never, there wasn't like a high demand. There wasn't, there wasn't, um, a high esteem even for excellence or for a very focused pursuit or for, yeah, achievement, I suppose. And it was just like, um, I think they didn't want to get us wrapped up and have our identity be found in what we did. And so they wanted our identity to be very much rooted, in this case, in um, like our spiritual identity. Like, God loves you regardless. We love you regardless. We love you for who you are, not for what you do. God loves you for who you are, not what you do. And so what you do is like what you do, and that's fine. But <clears throat> don't... Um, don't feel pressure to, to do, just be type thing. Right. Um, can you think of any, like, dark sides to that, like, or negative things that came out of that? Um, yeah, because there's, there's also, like, an unspoken, but there is a do, um, in the, in the religious practice, then there would be, like, in the faith, there would be, uh, expectation of a do there um, and I guess just what I was saying what we we're like what I was mentioning earlier is just then you kind of what what I ended up doing is just dabbling here dabbling there not really knowing what I was good at not really knowing what I wanted to do not really getting a lot of feedback from my parents not getting a lot of I don't know about opportunity but just kind of like eh, it's all secondary to just like making sure that you are a good Christian type thing and so then I left without really having a strong passion or a specific pursuit or even just like very much like awareness of 
who I, what I was about. And so like, I think their goal was that I'd be more self-aware because it's like, don't get so wrapped up in what you're involved in, be more wrapped up in who you are. But what that left me was like a little of everything, just like such a hodgepodge of just kind of a splish splash of all sorts of, you know, different like half pursuits, I guess. So is that what drew you to Mo then? The fact that he was so all in on something? Um, I definitely like coming into early adulthood was trying pretty hard to find something that I really wanted to like be all in on or to like be able to fully engage. Um, so yeah, I suppose that was probably like a very appealing or attractive thing to me. Yeah. Could you, could you tell me the story again on how you guys met? Because I always thought that was a funny story. It was our freshman year of college, and it was, like, the first week, so everybody's just settling into the dorms and getting to know their roommate and literally just unpacking their stuff, and there's another girl on my floor, and the way that the dorms were set up was it was, like, a girl's floor and then boy's floor, girl's floor, boy's floor, girl's floor, um, <coughs> 12 levels, and so I was, like, I think I was on the bottom floor, and it, there was a girl that was, like, do you want to get, like, just go around and just kind of meet people and just get to know people and make some friends? I was, like, yeah. So we just started knocking on doors, and then we went up to the boys' hall or the boys' floor, and just started knocking on doors. And actually, he was like toward the very end of the boys' uh, hall when I knocked on his door. And when he came to the door, like I just knew right away that he's somebody I wanted to talk to. And so I just basically invited myself in and um, made myself right at home and just <laughs> started chatting with him. And was like, just knew like I want to see him again. She was very bubbly, and so I opened the door, and it was just like, hi, you know, <laughs> like, big eyes and, like, real loud. <laughs> I'm Emily, and I'm like, and I was, like, wondering, like, I mean, I had no idea what, what she was there for, and then, I, like, she started, like, talking, and I was like, I think, like, she's here for nothing. Like, I think she's just, like, actually here to say hello, and then she was like, she, like, I remember her, like, looking, like, <laughs> like doing like the look over my shoulder like what's in there you know what I mean like what you and then she's like so can I come in I'm like uh yeah I, I guess <laughs> and yeah then she stayed for like a while like, I was putting stuff away yeah. and like just get my dorm room set and then and then I wasn't <laughs> because right. we talked for about 30 minutes and no. not quite that simple <laughs> there, there wasn't an official like date date I mean basically we hung out a lot but it, the terms weren't overly defined and so we spent a lot of time together we got to know each other really well um and we're like a really big part of each other's story all through university but it it was never an exclusive dating relationship not until after college so um like first official date might have been like post college I mean there was definitely times where it, it just wasn't so like you know clear and defined so there was times where we were both interested mm -hmm. there was also times where we were friends but both dating somebody else so like there was probably like a time where we were mutually interested and there was kind of like a date like thing but I wouldn't say like a formal official like we both agreed we're both in the same place feeling the same way mm -hmm. it was usually one or the other of us did you have a boyfriend 
<laughs> when you came to my door. <laughs> Not officially. Really? No. Oh, okay. <clears throat> well, like, I would have called her my best friend in college. I don't, you wouldn't have said that about me, but, but I would have. I was, like, really active in, like, the college ministry and doing, like, mission trips and leading groups and just kind of, like, wanting, I wanted to move to the slums of, who knows, like, Calcutta, probably, (laughs) and, like, go change the world. Um, A little bit of, like, a want-to-be-like-revolutionary type, like, um, spiritually grounded, Um, but also, like... Spiritually grounded, but not religious, or really trying to break free from religion. So really on a quest to be a little more open-minded, I guess, or just like, and so I would like always toe the edge of what probably made the college ministry comfortable, because I would just walk right as far as I could, and, but I, I had enough like spiritual vibrancy, I guess, that I was like a very valued member of the ministry, but probably one that they're like, oh, she like makes us uncomfortable a lot. So, um, and then Mo was like athlete, like through and through athlete. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so the interesting thing about dating, I like that you talked about how now, even when you guys were kind of friends, best friends, not really dating, that the terms weren't Mm-hmm. Um, with sort of the evolution of technology and how it's taken us uh, to a point where this is now even more blurred. Like mm-hmm. we don't really know what is appropriate anymore. Mm-hmm. Would you say that there are new, I guess, rites of passages for uh, younger people? I mean, you guys counsel young mm-hmm. couples a lot when people come to you and deny to talk about like relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny, like, when we were kind of in the dating season of our life, that was when Facebook was, like, just starting, and when, like, um, Instant Messenger and stuff was, like, big, and we definitely, like, we used it, and it was totally how we flirted with each other. AOL. Um, AOL. AOL, yeah. AOL Instant e- Messenger. EP24 Passion. <laughs> that was me. That was her name, and Purple24 Rowing, <laughs> also. Yeah. <laughs> I think mine was just Mo and a number, but Mo, she had colors and sports and, and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> that was like just kind of getting on the scene where you could like start to kind of check somebody out before you actually knew them. But it was still not common enough. Like we really needed, it's still at that time was like, I was trying to figure out where is he so I can be around him. Like actually I lay physical eyes on him. See, you know, and it was, the game then was trying to figure out where each other was. Well, me trying to figure out where he, where he was. <laughs> um, but, yeah, now, like, you can, like, quote, unquote, know somebody f- so well before you ever yeah. are in the room with them and, like, face-to-face. And so I think that that's a lot different. And we were open and embrace it and just, like, we just kind of want to roll with it instead of – but I do think that – <clears throat> there's something that's very rich and meaningful about like 
you feel different when you're actually in somebody's presence. And so I'm probably a little bit like, yeah, old fashioned in that like I think I, I think there's a lot of um you can't substitute or replace that like the there's so much communica- communication that happens by just being in in the presence of someone you know so see you've tracked him down yeah in the room with him again what does that feel does that compare how does that compare to what you thought it would be like to talk to him I mean mm-hmm. you obviously already talked to him but um I guess it's different flirting online versus mm-hmm. flirting in person mm-hmm. what was that like for you guys mm-hmm. I mean, the difference was we were, like, ten doors away. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, her dorm room, like, at least, like, sophomore year was, like, down the hall. Mm-hmm. So. We're, we just had such easy access. But, like, freshman year when I was still trying, like, to kind of figure him out, and he was, like, a little bit elusive to me, I would try to... I w- literally would try to like stalk him. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but cause there was, you can just, yeah, you can yeah. learn a lot, but then it was, you know, yeah. Then there's just such easy access for us to see each other, which like, I'm still thinking how crazy it is that you're going to put a bunch of 19 year olds, single 19 year olds, <laughs> like next door, boys and girls next door to them. Be like, have fun guys. <laughs> like that is, exploring just interest to like mm-hmm. oh this is somebody that I could see myself you know building a life with mm-hmm. I mean the, the interesting part is like we spent a lot of time together we really connected well I consider her my best friend but we both had serious boyfriends and mm-hmm. she had a serious boyfriend I had serious girlfriends so during that during that time so it's pretty complicated I would say because I think we both uh, <clears throat> saw in each other something that was like really special and unique and something we didn't share with anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet we both kind of went op- other directions too and found other people to date. Mm-hmm. But I think we would both admit that those relationships were kind of void of something really special that we had together. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's true? Mm-hmm. Um, that probably wasn't until we we were like exclusive to like where we were actually talking about family in the context of like with each other. Um, but that was kind of like, um, everybody thinks that you have to, or there's not everybody thinks, but I think it's a widely held belief that you have to have a certain amount of money, a certain amount of stability, a certain amount of time, you know, married, um, be debt-free or, some, you know, all these, like, requirements before you are even eligible or, like, qualified to start a family. And we kind of just wanted to, like, a little bit um, kick back on that and be like, nah, watch us. And so we we realized, like, 
we both shared a passion for wanting to, yeah, build, reproduce and build a family and like pass our legacy and all those really cool things that can happen. We thought, why not do it while we're like really young and we have a lot of energy and we've got like the tenacity to kind of um, deal with a lot of the obstacles instead of waiting, getting set in your ways and then bringing a child into your family where you're not as flexible, you're going to be tired easier, you're going to be, you know, like more rigid um, and even just like maybe physically just not as, you know, like let's just be young parents and let's do this. And so, and let's not make our whole life stop because of kids. So we were really committed to like once we had kids, we're still going to take trips. We're still going to bring them along. We're still going to find a way to do this and that. And we're still going to be who we are. We're still going to like pursue our passions. And so we're like, yeah, we're still going to move halfway across the world. And we're not going to do it with one kid or two, but we're going to do it with three. Um, and we're not going to like, you know, stop playing golf or like whatever, just, you know, like having friends or something. Like we really just wanted to say like, it's possible to build and expand and, we were by no means, you know, rich or wealthy or even. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, go- the golf, the reason she said golf is because when Maya was born and she was like a month, a month old, <laughs> two months old, mm-hmm. uh, I took her stroller and I like went to the hardware store and bought, <laughs> and bought like a, like a PVC bracket and like screwed it onto the stroller and it held three golf clubs and so that I, <laughs> I took her to the golf course and I'd play golf with her like because like she's I needed to like take her for a walk anyway and like she slept really good in the stroller so I was like all right so then I took her to the golf course golf course and played <laughs> played nine holes while she slept I just had to make sure that I put like you know the thing over the top like the canopy thing like I had to make sure that was down just in case a ball came <laughs> But, like, that's, like, a good example of, like, from the very beginning where, like, we didn't, we wanted to be parents who went on kind of, like, life is normal. And we, it wasn't like we didn't expect kids to change our life, but we didn't want to be the parent who was all consumed by the new baby. And it's like, life stopped. You know, everybody's like, oh, life's over once you get married or life's over once you have kids or blah, blah, blah. You know, like, that whole thing. And we were really adamant to rise above that attitude. Um, just because there's four and they're really close in age and it was just like a little bit of a whirlwind, you know, it was like basically having three babies at once because they're less than a year and a half, less than a year and a half. And then, um, so it was just like, and it's fun and that's what honestly, like highly recommend it would do it again. Um, but we just like really wanted to take care that each kid is seen, like, you just like have time with each of them and let them shine in their own way and just, you know, and so we let them choose. Um, they get to choose their date and sometimes Mo takes them and sometimes I do. We kind of 
rotating depending on what the date is. But yeah, they choose their day and we just make it all about them. And like we were saying, typically they, the kids have fit into our family life. Like we're not fitting into their life and they're not the center of the, the family. Like, um, from a baby, they've fit into what is already in motion and what's already like going on. And so I think that's like, you know, kind of what you're noticing that like, they don't rule the roost. Like, and if they do, then it'll be pretty quickly corrected, you know? But yeah, just having like, um, a chance for each kid to kind of be prince or princess for the day and just like get to have that special unique. And they will talk about those dates for like, they remember every single one and they're always asking when the next one is. And it's definitely a huge highlight for them. It's something like very, very fun and very special. And they really enjoy each other's company. So they're not like in desperate need of like getting away from each other, but there definitely is something that is really cool. I think on both the end of the parent and the child just to like just them you know and don't for the like very few and far between times like they're not they don't have to think about what everybody else wants to do you know yeah how do you think this affects the way that how do you think this will affect the way that they like take other people out on dates when they when they get older uh i think that they'll be really good at uh giving someone their attention and asking questions and kind of getting into that person's life and wanting to understand them. That's what I think. Cause that's what we try to do. Like when I, like on these dates, you know, we talked a lot about self-awareness and, and when we take our kids out, that's like my main goal is to learn and understand and observe. So I can, in the future, not in the actual moment of the, of the date, but in the future, then I can, um, give feedback and say, this is who I believe you to be because I was listening and attentive and understanding and trying to figure them out in the best sense of that phrase. I think here's like sort of the tension sometimes I see, especially with you being like sort of the more uh, strict parent, I guess the, the bad cop if there was one. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think it's about authenticity. I think they know that me being the one who's a little tougher, me being the one who demands a certain behavior to get access to my heart, um, I think they know that's authentic to who I am, that I'm not trying to be someone else. So I think when you know someone else is being true to themselves, like there's a trust there and there's a feeling of, of safety we think sometimes that safety comes from like, oh, the really nice one or the one who doesn't demand anything. Oh, they're so cool because they let me do whatever I want. That actually provides instability in kids long term. Like short term, kids might think that's really cool. But if you actually look at like how that plays out, that provides instability. Or if the kid does rule the roost or whatever and they are kind of in charge, that does not produce stability in children. When they get whatever they want... That causes chaos in their own heart because they know that something doesn't feel right about that. Why would the five-year-old get to tell the, you know, the authority <laughs> what to do? It it doesn't seem right to them. So I think like the first answer is just 
when kids can sense me being authentic, it's not about how nice he is. It's about trust and being, and about you know me being true to myself. And then the second answer, which is just as important, is consistency. Like when you're consistent, then kids can trust you, and they'll open up. And so even if you're consistently harsh, but like they know what they're gonna, they know what to expect. They know what they're gonna get from you because you're consistent. And when you say you're going to do something, you actually do it, even if that thing you say is tough or hard. It's not about it being tough or hard. It's just if you follow through. So it's just it's 100% about trust, and the things that build those trusts is authenticity and consistency. So it's not demeanor. I think, too, like, Mo's always – there's, like, no question off limits for Mo. Like, he's just, like – if you got the courage or the humility or the boldness combo of all of it to ask and like you want to know, then ask. Um, But it's going to require an ask and they know that. And so, but then they find if I ask, I'm going to get the answer. There's not something that is off limits or whatever, or, you know, like it's going to, it's not going to be fake. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be, we don't talk about that. It's not going to be anything like that. So I think like the intimacy comes from, they do know mm-hmm. that there's anything is actually on the table to discuss. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to judge them either. I think they, they know that. I'm tough, but I'm not judgmental mm-hmm. at all. And I require humility and I require certain kind of rules of engagement to get to my heart. But it's not because of judgment yeah. at all. So I think that they know that. I think that they know that they can come with any – like that's why they can come with anything is because they know they're not going to be, I don't judge. Yeah. And and last night we kind of talked a little bit about how people do enjoy your kids. Mm -hmm. It's like, and I've been around them a lot Mm -hmm. to know that like, they just get better with the years. Mm -hmm. Right. And Mm -hmm. they're like, it's like talking to my friends. We're Mm -hmm. hanging out here after our podcast. And I felt just, yeah, I felt Mm -hmm. at home with, and I can't believe they're only, Um, it does strike me like you know like and I think it's more than just you but like you can just sit and talk for an hour like and be happy Mm -hmm. with kids you know what I mean it it does like still kind of like amaze me (laughs) but but I think there's something to be said about the way that you've taught them to approach doubt Mm -hmm. right when they have a question nothing is stupid Mm -hmm. and um, they're not going to be talked down and you guys do go through um, elaborate explanations to their mm-hmm. questions. So I asked Emily once, like, have you guys had to talk to them? Have you guys talked to them about sex yet? Mm-hmm. And uh, what was the response? That, yeah, we have. And it was one of those things where it was like, was that, like, way too early? <laughs> um, you know, obviously, like, we're feeling our way through this, too. But it was like, we just really felt like, Let's just not um, let's just not shy away from stuff. And so, like, here it is, here it is. And at any point in their life, I just really hope that there's like no topic um, that it's like I've already, I already know about it, already been there. Like, there's no reason that once you're asking, then that is like to me and like an indicator, like you're ready for it. If you're asking, you're ready. Um, and so using that, and so they ask, so, like, they get told. And instead of saying, oh, we'll talk about that another time, or let's wait till you're older, da, 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 it's like, you ask, then you're going to get told. 
Um, and then just being, you know, a little bit like prudent about exactly how, you know, what exactly are they asking? Are they asking for like, and so I just had the advice of just answer what you're being asked. And so if they ask like, so what exactly it's, you know, kids don't usually, unless they've heard sex, they don't usually say what is sex. They usually say like, how's a baby made or what makes a husband and wife or how to, you know, something along those lines or something. Um, Anyway, so yeah, we sat down and literally had all four, and Zion would have been like four years old, <laughs> and um, just talked about you know what is sex. Yeah, um, and how did they react? They all took it in stride. We're like, oh, all right, like, and I, we think that part of that is because since they are pre-adolescent or like pre-hormones and puberty and stuff that it's not like so awkward and uncomfortable and because it's like this is you're created for for this this is good this is whatever we're not all squeamish talking about it you don't need to be all embarrassed hearing about it and so it was just like surprisingly very natural and just like not even that big of a deal but it was like they remember it like they know what it is and so it wasn't like it wasn't like um, a somewhat like monumental conversation, but it, you wouldn't walk into the room and be like, "Oh my gosh, just this," you know, just be like, "Yep, another conversation in the Bogards, like not a big deal." Like we're just describing sex. <laughs> the more comical result of that is like Calla being like seven, saying like, "Cause like Calla just loves babies, just like wants babies as soon as she can." So she'll say mm-hmm. something like, "I just can't wait to get a man's sperm inside me." <laughs> So I can have a baby. Like, how soon can I do that? And then, <laughs> and then she'll be like, do you know of any boys that want to give me their sperm? <laughs> like, oh, honey. Oh, well, okay. Maybe we need to, like... <laughs> it's just like, just how do I get that? Because <laughs> really hoping I can make a baby pretty soon. But that is... But that's also, like, the point. Like, we're really... We're big believers in having the conversation well before puberty hits so that they can be... Uh, really grounded in the foundations of what sex is, what the purpose is, what the design is, what marriage is, so that that, those can be established. Then when they hit crazy hormones, they've got a base to work from. It's tough to hit hormones and have to start figuring stuff out and have to start asking those questions. But if you grow up with a foundation of this is what those things are, then hormones come, it's easier to put the pieces together. It's not so much at once. And so I think, yeah, we're, we're... we don't know. It's a guess. You know, <laughs> we've never done it before, but we decided to take that route because we were we were really sure that we want to try that. Were your parents honest and upfront with you guys about stuff like that? No. <laughs> no. Do you wish they were? <laughs> I mean, hard to say. We'll find out. I we feel really good about how it's gone so far, but I'm super interested to see what happens when they become. Te- I mean, well, time will tell when they become teenagers, and we'll see how. They react to all the stuff, but I yeah so I, far, so I, good. I think I can say I wish my parents would have given more, like of a little guidance there, just because it was like, um, basically like I think what most parents do is wait for them to think for you to find out about it through another way and then address that, you know, and um, I would rather be like the first voice on it, the first um, one giving the information, the first one educating them, the first one that they see my response, the first one that they feel like, okay, is this a bad thing to talk about? It's good. Like, I don't, 
and we did. We beat it. We beat everybody else. And so for me, it was like, now if they hear it again, it's like, oh, yeah, my mom already talked to me about that. Oh, yeah, we already sat down and already heard all that. Oh, yeah, I, like, I'm, that's old news, like, for me. Like, okay. And I think that that could be, could help avoid some confusion and avoid, um, if kids hear it somewhere else first and they think, there's a reason that my parents didn't talk to me about that. I don't think I'm supposed to talk about that with them. You know, there's, like, an immediate, like, there's got to be a reason why they wouldn't ever mention that to me. That's kind of a big one. And so it's like when they hear the big one and then they hear it from somebody else and they've already heard it, they're like, yeah, okay. And I think it just like um, gives a little more like weight to how we've discussed it and a little less weight to when they hear it from a secondary, you know, or another source. I think another thing at play here is a lot of parents wait because they wait until the time where they think their kid could make a decision Mm -hmm. that would make them look bad Mm. or they'd make a decision that they think would be like bad for their, you know, spiritual record or something like that, you know? And so it's like, it reflects poorly on them. And I think kids like, that's why like, I think sometimes teenagers like roll their eyes at their parents because they can tell that their parents just saying it because they think they're going to go do something stupid and get pregnant. And then, and I'm, you know, some parents would just genuinely be concerned about the kid, you know, quote unquote ruining their life or whatever. Uh, Or they'd, be afraid of looking really bad and having the kid, you know, having the teenager who got knocked up early and then that one, you know, the rumor mill starts and whatever. And I think kids sense that you're only telling me this now because you're afraid that I might, you know, you're afraid of the wrong I might do versus our approach, which is like, we really want you to understand it. We want you to understand the design. We want you to enjoy it. We want you to be able to embrace it fully. We want you to get the most out of, of the design of sex and marriage. Um, and think it's a really great thing. And our primary, our primary instruction is not because we're afraid you're going to screw it up and make us look bad. And obviously, I know that's not all parents, but I think it's enough parents where teens react strongly to the talk, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Speaking of teenagers, so Maya's turn now. She's knocking on the doors mm-hmm. of teenagehood. Does any of that make you guys nervous? Um, no, we've always said, like, I think that there's such this, like, fear of, like, teenage years, and obviously we haven't been there, so I I really, like, want to be careful of, you know, being too much of a know-it-all of something I've never done. But I'm actually really excited for teenage years, partly because we're doing things now, early, and allowing freedom. Like, when Maya turns, you know, 13, we're not going to be like, now you get your own Instagram. Like, she'd be like, "Uh, I've had it for five, you know, like... Or like, okay, now we need to have the talk or now we need to whatever. It's like she's been stewarding and managing things from fairly young that I'm just like, well, she's a teenager, she's going to be doing incredible things. And so I just get like really excited. I'm like, I'm excited for her maturity. I'm excited for what her capabilities will be. I'm excited for our relationship. I'm excited because for up until this point, I have enjoyed her even more and more every passing year. I've appreciated her growth and maturity and development and been like, every year I'm even more amazed at her. So I'm like, I'm not saying there won't be some, like, sour times and, like, that she's, you know, not going to go through some mood swings and ups and downs and whatever. But I really think um, we've done a lot to set it up on the front end so then when she does go through it, I think there's going to be less confusion in her own world and, um, and then, like, some good outlets to, like, maybe deal with whatever she's going through. But, like, you know, she's, like, shown 
like Mo and I were like, is this it? Like, is she starting to go through puberty? Um, Cause she'll like cry for no apparent reason or something like that. You know, we're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? <laughs> and so I definitely think there's gonna be moments like that. I was just like, what? Like, and she might not know what's going on. We won't know what's going on and she won't. And so I'm not saying we're exempt from those moments of like passing from child to woman. Like we're going to go through that. I just like, so think that the good is going to outweigh the bad. And so trust, um, I guess just like, our relationship, then I'm like, I'm not scared of it. I just think, like, it's definitely something we're going to go through. But, like, I actually am really, like, looking forward to it in a strange, you know, way. I think um, we're, we've both taken the approach of, like, parent a lot right now. And then, like, kind of when they hit 11, 12, 13, like, let go. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm excited for them to hit adolescence because I'm like, let's see if it worked. Mm-hmm. Like, like our, our diligence of like not letting stuff go and like getting in there in the trenches, like all the, you know, every single year and just having that talk every single time and just kind of being relentless with that. And then they hit the, they hit the adolescent years and it's like, you let them go. And this is what I taught you. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Versus the reverse is what you kind of often see is like, kind of let a kid do whatever they want. Ah, oh, little kids, they're going to do, they're going to be kids, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then they start becoming an adolescent and they start having power to make you look bad, power to make, you know, big time decisions. And then people jump on and try to start parenting. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> kids don't want to be parented when they're going through, <laughs> through that. You know, like they want to figure it out. It's time for them to discover themselves and all the rest. So we're, we're taking the approach of really heavy zero to 12 and then, releasing them in freedom and not that we're going to stop, but, um, really toning it back versus, you know, and again, we're humble about it. We know like what everybody says about teenagers. So like, we're not expecting no bumps in the road, but I do think it'll be really interesting to see like how well zero to 12, how well we did. She is, like, um, not into romance at all and, like, so, like, prim and proper about it. And also, she's just not around any of 